I want you to take your Bibles, if you will, and turn to the book of 1 Chronicles chapter 4 and verse 10. This has been our text for the last five Sundays. This is not a new text. This is the same text that we've had for five Sundays in a row. <clears throat> and the title of this final message in the series is Keep Me From Harm. We're studying the prayer of Jabez. If God has blessed you even one time, and he's blessed all of us many times, but he has, if he's blessed you even one time, do you think that he would like to bless you again? Don't you think that he would like to bless you many times over? Some people look at their salvation as the ultimate. This is it. Well, I got salvation, and that's it. Hot dog, I'm saved. Well, even all of what, uh, and, and, and the, the sad part is that while salvation is wonderful, it's only the beginning of God's intentions for our lives. God didn't intend to save us and then leave us to muddle around in a hapless, thankless, unhappy life. He wanted to do more for us. I've often said, and it's true, that salvation, eternal life is both here and hereafter. When someone comes to know Jesus Christ, they begin the journey of faith. They begin their, uh, their eternal life. The blessed life begins the moment that we receive Jesus Christ as Savior. Don't forget what Jesus said in John 10.10. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. God wants us to have an abundant life. He wants to shower us with blessings. And most of us have less blessings because we limit God. We place boundaries around our expectations of what God can do to and through our lives. Just as his power is limitless, his blessings are limitless. However, blessings, when we get them, bring to us challenges. Sometimes those challenges come in the form of a temptation in mishandling all of the good things that he has done for us. There are a lot of people who have had good things happen in their lives and then their life went bad because they were bad stewards of good things. And we don't want to be bad stewards of good things. We want to be good stewards of the good things that God has given us in our lives. In this series, we have emphasized how we <clears throat> ask for power and blessings even though we are weak and insufficient. In fact, we ask for power and blessings especially because we are weak and insufficient. Now we're asking for protection from our own weaknesses. Now we're asking for protection from ourselves if indeed God gives to us his power and his blessing. First Chronicles chapter 4 and verse 10. Jabez called upon the God of Israel saying, oh that you would bless me and enlarge my border and that your hand might be with me and that you would keep me from harm so that it might not bring me pain. And God granted what he asked. On the one hand, Jabez prays with abandon for God's blessings. He prays with abandon for increased territory. But as soon as he got the increased territory, and as soon as he got the blessings from God, in fact, even before, he knew that there would be liabilities. He knew that there would be problems. 
The Bible says, to whom much is given, much is required. So he knew that when he got more, there would be more required of him. And there would also be more temptations in his life. Here's what he knew, that with success comes a chance to fail. Everyone has a chance to fail. In the last uh, eight of the 1800s, a philosopher, an artist named Albert Hubbard, wrote these words, to avoid criticism, say nothing, do nothing, and be nothing. In other words, don't give yourself a chance to fail. But if you're going to say something, if you're going to do something, if you're going to be something, you're going to have failures. As I transition from from this ministry of being a pastor to uh, other areas of ministry, one of the things that I'd like to do is help other pastors. I'd like to help other pastors because I can give them some information based on my failures far more than my successes. I've learned a lot more in failure than I've learned in success. Thank God for any success. But I also thank God for the failures because I grew wiser. I learned some things and I can help them. And, And quite honestly, you're going to have some failures in your life if you do anything. If you take a step in the Jabez direction, asking for more blessings, <clears throat> you, gotta, you have to expect more challenges. Success is never a smooth road. It never is. There's always the chance to fail. I want you to think of how Moses <clears throat> rose from obscurity to prominence after an encounter with God and a burning bush. Now, it is true that Moses was in the household of Pharaoh by a miraculous deliverance by his mother and by God's hand and that he was raised in Pharaoh's house. But he stepped out of that because he'd rather be called one of the children of Israel. And then there was an encounter and he had to flee and he went into obscurity. And he could have lived out his life in obscurity, but he gave himself a chance. Look at Exodus chapter 3 and verse 1. Now Moses was keeping the flock of his father-in-law, Jethro, uh, the priest of Midian, and he led his flock to the west side of the wilderness and came to Horeb and the mountain of God. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush. He looked and behold, the bush was burning, yet it was not consumed. Now Moses' life was never the same after that burning bush experience. While he was anonymous, there was no real threat to his life. The threat had been passed. He had already fled from Egypt. He was already hiding out. He was already doing something that, that was comfortable in his life, and he didn't have to worry too much. But then he has this burning bush experience. When God put before him a burning bush, everything changed. It all turned upside down. It burned down the limitations of his life. And it erased any definition of borders that he had come to know. From that point forward, Moses faced greater opportunities for success in his life. And he faced greater opportunities for failure in his life. He was given the chance to succeed and he was given the reality that failure could be possible. The same is true for any of us. If we ask for and receive increased territory and greater blessings from God, there's a chance for tremendous success, but there's also chance for failure. There's also chance to fall on our face. That's why when we ask for blessings from God, we've got to ask for more than just those blessings from God. And we're going to see that in just a moment. 
Sometimes the reason the liabilities of success uh, uh, come to us is because of something on the inside of us. We have a tendency to become dulled uh, toward our dependency on God. We get a big blessing in our lives, and then we become dull on how those blessings came. We sometimes become self-sufficient and prayerless instead of humble and prayerful. In fact, the longer that we serve God or do anything successful, the, successfully, the more we should ask God to keep us from harm because the greater becomes our danger. We think, all right, I've got this until we realize that we don't have this. And, and we, we just forget that we have a tendency to failure. I ran the other, I was, I was in uh, Palm Beach Gardens the other day with my, <clears throat> with my, my wife and, and our son and grandson, and he was down there for a, a little baseball tournament. We went to that baseball tournament, and, uh, and we were staying in the same hotel. And so he came to my room in the hotel, and he was in there, and <clears throat> his dad was in there, and Jan, and, and we were having a good time. And, and he said, he, he, my, my grandson, uh, who's exactly like his father, said something insulting to me. I mean, he's just like his daddy. His, his daddy has no reverence whatsoever for who I am, and neither does his uh, son. I love them both, and I'm being a little tongue-in-cheek, but he said something. And, <clears throat> and I said, hmm, and I jumped up from, my, uh, from the couch, and I took off running toward him, and he went out into the hallway. You know those kids that run up and down the hallway at hotels? That was me. And I ran down the hall, and, and, and it was, I mean, I was going and going, and, and I thought, you know what? I'm going to pull a hamstring. <clears throat> That's exactly what I thought as I was running. I'm going to pull a hamstring. But I was gaining on him. I was gaining on an eight-year-old. I was so proud of myself. And just as I realized that I was gaining on my eight-year-old, my leg came up, and that hamstring popped, and I went, oh, no. And so I said, slow down, slow down, slow down. You know what happened? I forgot that I had to watch over my body. I forgot for a moment that my body was 66 years old. And that hamstring had not been doing that kind of stuff. Oh, I'm in pretty good shape. And I go to the gym and I do all of those things. But let me tell you what I don't do. I don't chase eight-year-olds in my life. And so the temptation was always there, but I had just forgotten about it until it came back to me. Somehow or another, I want you to tie that to the idea that God blesses us in our lives and we move on in those blessings in such a normal fashion of life that we forget that there could be a liability if we do not handle those blessings properly. The longer that we're in the battle, the greater our temptation. Uh, losing a sense of daily battle with temptation indicates that we've either given in or we become complacent in our service to him. And we don't realize that at any time a hamstring can pop in our lives. At any time we can come up lame and not be able to do the things that we once did or that we should do. We, we can almost conclude that being tempted is is a sign in some ways that God wants to do something in our lives. Don't forget James chapter 1 and verse 2. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. A chance to succeed is a chance to fail. Our need to be kept from evil is at its peak 
when we reach our highest point of success. So if you think that you're at your peak of success, if you think that you have hit the PA resistance, if you think that I am there and boy, this is just the best that it could possibly be, I want you to get on your knees and pray because a chance to succeed is a chance to fail. In fact, if you're going to succeed, you're going to have to have a plan to succeed that overcomes the chance to fail. Knowing that his temptations would increase as his territory increased, Jabez was very, very wise. Jabez asked God to protect him. He asked God, he said, now I believe that you're going to give me what I ask. I believe that you're going to give me great blessings. I believe you're going to enlarge my territory. But God, here's what I want to ask you for. Keep me from harm. Keep me from evil. Because I know what it's like. I know what can happen when people have a lot, when people get a lot, when people are extraordinarily blessed. Again, the text says, oh, uh, Jabez uh, called upon the Lord saying, oh, that you would bless me and enlarge my border and that your hand might be with me and that you would keep me from harm so that it might not bring me pain. And God granted what he asked. Now, how do we do battle with the evils that come in our lives? How do we have a plan to succeed? I want to give you four ideas of how to succeed. And these are are four ideas to help you plan to defeat the evil and the failure that might come in your life. Here's the first thing. Here's the first way to succeed uh, after you've succeeded. All right, I'll, I'll put it that way. The way to succeed after you've succeeded. First of all, flee the flesh. You got to run from it. Now, what does that mean? Well, this is what Joseph learned. When Joseph, you remember Joseph living in Potiphar's wife, living in Potiphar's house and Potiphar's wife came came to him. And Potiphar's wife, uh, I've always pictured Potiphar's wife as being something of a babe. I've always pictured her as being really nice looking. I mean, I just always have. And, And she, every day, uh, when, when Joseph comes into Potiphar's house to uh, do the, the uh, book work and the business there in the house, uh, she looks at him and, and she says, hello there, big boy. <laughs> and I always picture that. And I always picture her saying, going back to a 30s movie and saying, why don't you come on up and see me sometime? That, yeah, I just see that in my, in my head and I, I, I believe that. And, and every day that Joseph went in there, he said, this is not good. This is a bad, bad thing this is a bad thing. And he says, I can't, I can't do this. Look, your husband has given me charge over all this house. I can't do this wicked thing. And this is a sin against God. I can't do this thing. And she just kept on and kept on and kept on. Guess what that was? She was appealing to his flesh. And the temptation just continued and continued and continued until finally one day she grabbed him And she pulled him in and she said, oh, I'm serious. And do you know what he did? He shinnied out of those clothes and and I picture him running naked through the field. And, And he said, I'd rather run naked through the field than to stay in here and destroy all that of that God has given me and destroy the, the opportunity, the success that I have. That's the smart thing to do. That's the only thing to do. Temptations of the flesh are best handled by running from them. That's the best way. Those things that just overcome you, they're the best, the best way to do 
is to run from them. Now, in a moment, we're going to talk about make no provision for them, but we have to run from them. Uh, the Bible is very specific about how to handle those temptations. 2 Timothy 2.22, so flee youthful passions and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace, along with those who call on the Lord from a, a pure heart. My son Nathan one time, I, I saw him do something at a restaurant, and, and it had perfect application of this. We had dinner. <clears throat> he reached the point where they had, he had eaten all that he should eat. And, and, but it, boy, it was really, really, really good. And here's what he did. He took the salt shaker, and he took the top off the salt shaker, and, and he just poured the salt all over the food that, that he could have finished. He just poured it all over that because he knew that was a way for him to run from the, the temptation to eat more. Now, that wouldn't have bothered me at all. I'd eaten right through that uh, shaker of salt. <clears throat> but, but he... <laughs> He uh, ran that way. Flesh temptations are any temptations that reach out to get you. There are any temptation that go, don't you know about the temptations that go against your better judgment? Ah, I shouldn't, eh, maybe, eh, I shouldn't, eh, maybe. You know about those temptations. Those are flesh temptations. They take control of your body and they make you just plain stupid, just dumb. And you just, you say, I, I don't. And then afterward, you say, why did I do that? Well, the, the reason that you did that is because you entered into a flesh temptation. You entered into <clears throat> something that was a, a temptation that you should have run from. But instead, you tried to resist it. And you couldn't resist. Oh, I just couldn't resist. You ever said that? Oh, I just couldn't resist. Right. You couldn't resist. That's why you run. You absolutely run because you can't resist. Well, you say, is there something that we should resist? Yes, you should resist the devil. You should flee the flesh, run from that, but resist the devil. There are times when the obstacle before you is it's not a temptation of the flesh, but it's a very real uh, encounter with what Satan is trying to do to your life. Even Jesus had these, th- these times. Matthew 6, 20, 16, 23. But he turned and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan. You are a hindrance to me, for you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on things of man. Now, what do we do when we know that Satan is fighting us? Well, the instruction is very simple. We submit ourselves to the, to the Lord, and we resist the devil, and he will flee from us. There are times when Satan is trying to get you to be defeated in your life. And you know that it is, that he is. At that time, here's what you have to do. You have to submit yourself to the Lord, and then you have to resist the devil. I'll give you an illustration of that. A lot of people, maybe some of you, have difficulty with doubts about your salvation. You, You doubt whether or not you're truly saved. Now, there's been a time in your life when by faith, uh, you saw yourself as a sinner and you put your faith in Jesus Christ as Savior, yet there are still plaguing doubts in your life. Now, let me stop and say this. There are a lot of people who have doubts about their salvation because they should, because they've never been born again. But there are a lot of born-again believers who have doubts about their salvation, even though they've been truly born again. Now, here's what I often tell people. 
I often tell people, when, when, and I've counseled, I, I don't know how many people in my life and ministry that have come to me and said, I'm just having doubts about my salvation and so on. And I counsel with them, and, and they'll, either, they'll, they'll get assurance of their salvation or they'll pray and make it right. And, and, and we try to help them in that regard. And if any of you are that way, I'm happy to help you. I really am. And, <clears throat> I, and, and you shouldn't be ashamed of that because a lot of people have those kinds of, of difficulties because Satan really tries his best to resist the success of your salvation, to resist the effectiveness of your salvation. And here's what I tell people. After they've come to a place and I'll say, all right, now let me ask you this. If you died today, where would you go? Well, I'd go to heaven. Are you going to go to heaven because you're such a good person? No, not going to go to heaven because I'm a good person. Are you going to go to heaven because of all the great works that you've done? No, not going to go to heaven because of that. Why are you going to heaven? I'm going to heaven because Jesus Christ died on the cross for my sins, and I ask him to be my Savior and Lord. I've turned from myself and sin, and I've trusted Jesus Christ as Savior. I said, that's the only way you can get to heaven. Now, I said, let's do this. Let's take a stake. And let's drive it in the ground right here in the office or wherever it is in our minds and hearts. I want you to drive a stake down. Let's drive it all the way down, all the way down, all the way down till you have just a little bit sticking up. And then Satan, he's not going to give up on this thing of trying to make you doubt your salvation. He's not going to give up on this thing of causing you to feel insecure in your salvation. So he's going to come back to you again. And when he comes back to you again, you say, oh, I was expecting you. I was expecting you to come. Lord, this is it. I, this, I, I'm, I'm surrendering myself to you. I'm submitting myself to you, Lord, but I got to do something with Satan here. And Satan, come with me just a minute. And in your heart and in your mind, you take Satan back to that place where you drove that stake down. And, and you, you come in and you say, <clears throat> by the way, uh, Satan, right here, right there, you, I, you, that's, that stake, I see it so clearly. I remember the day that I drove that thing down in my mind and in my heart and in my spirit. I drove that down and I knew that you'd be back. I knew that you'd come back and you'd try your best to get me to doubt my salvation again. But I'm not doubting my salvation. And here's the reason why. Because right there at that place, right there, I mean, there's no question about it, right there, the, I got it settled in my heart, soul, and, and life. And when I die, I'm going to go to be with Jesus, I'm going into heaven because I got it settled right there. Now look, where'd he go? You know what he did? He fled from you. You know why he fled from you? Because you resisted him in the name of Jesus. That's the way to avoid a failure in your life <clears throat> that's caused by Satan creating a resistance we submit ourselves to the Lord, and we literally and genuinely resist the devil. We let him know uh, whose side we're on and who is on our side. We stand up in the name of Jesus and the power of God, and we absolutely resist him. And James said that when we do, he will flee from us. Now, will he come back? Oh, sure. But that's all right. Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. So let him come back. And when he does, take him wherever he needs to go and show him what he needs to see in the name of Jesus and resist him. How do you have a plan for success when God has blessed your life? Well, you've got to flee the flesh. You've got to resist the devil. And you've got to learn to avoid the problem. You have to learn to avoid it. There are times when we set ourselves up for failure. 
we walk right into our problems instead of avoiding them. Right into the middle of them. If you know, if, if you're driving home from work here in Tallahassee and, and oh, it's a, this is a great place to live. And I'll tell you why it's a great place to live because there's so many ways to get home. You know, if you live in Atlanta and you get stuck, you are stuck. I mean, you are stuck until spring or, you know, Jesus comes or something. But in Tallahassee, you can get home. Now, if you're on your way home and you know, you know that there is a big traffic jam ahead of you, what do you do? You take any number of those other ways to get there. I do that all the time. Some of you see me cutting through your, your uh, neighborhood, and you wonder, why is he cutting through my neighborhood? Because there's a traffic jam ahead, but I live on a dead-end street. That, by the way, was just to see if you're listening to me. And I want to thank the seven of you who are. Uh, <clears throat> we avoid the problem. We go around the problem. All of us do that. That's a way to ensure that we don't fall victim to certain areas of temptation in life. We avoid them. Romans 13, 14 says, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. You know the best way to keep from eating pecan pie? is not have it in the house. My wife made pecan pie last weekend and we had a piece of it left and she put it in the freezer. And I knew that was a terrible temptation for me. And so last night I ate it so there'd be no further temptation <laughs> in my life. By the way, I just got an amen from people who never amen at all. <laughs> no, seriously. We avoid the temptation. We don't. Jabez asked God, he said, keep me from evil. But he also had a responsibility to keep himself from harm's way. Staying away from the paths that lead us into temptation is a, is a simple, straightforward thing. Doc, it hurts when I do this. And the doctor says, well, don't do that. There are a lot of things that hurt that wouldn't hurt if we just wouldn't do that. I don't have to make all the application for you. Your mind is already racing, but there are areas in your life where you can avoid the trouble that you continue to face. But what if you're too weak to steer clear of trouble? Jabez must have feared that for himself, and you know what he did? He called on God. This is the Jabez way. Keep me from harm so that it might not bring me pain. Does this remind you of another prayer that, that we heard one time? What about this prayer? And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. That's the same thing Jabez prayed. When was the last time any of us asked God to keep us from temptation to the same degree that we ask him to bless us? or to reward us, or to increase our territory. Our problem is we ask for more and more and more and never stop to say, and God, keep me from being foolish with this. 
keep me from evil. We sin because we give in to temptation. We know that, <clears throat> that we will have to, uh, our share of temptation, but we should ask God to keep us away from it as much as possible. That's what Jesus said that we should do. Now, what is our secret weapon? Have you ever made a statement like this? Well, I would never do that. You ever made a statement like that? I know one thing, I'd never do that. I got my problems, but I'd never do that. I would never do something like this. That is a big issue in people's lives. They say never, and then sure enough, they're standing in the middle of ever. Proverbs 3, 5, trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. Just like we drop our own boundaries to allow God to bless us abundantly, we have to drop our dependency on self to allow God to keep us from harm. Now here's what we, that means for us. First of all, we need to have surrendered wisdom. Woe to those who are wise in their own eyes and shrewd in their own sight, Isaiah 5, 21. Romans 12, 16, live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. But isn't wisdom the principal thing? Well, it is, but it must be God's wisdom, not our own. James chapter 3 and verse 17. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable and gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. There is a huge difference between thus saith the Lord and it seems to me. We live far more by the it seems to me rule then thus saith the Lord. And one is our wisdom and the other is his wisdom. And when we travel in our wisdom, it's no wisdom at all. When we travel in his wisdom, it's all the wisdom of everything. We have to surrender our wisdom. We have to surrender our feelings. These are secret weapons to maintaining the success that God gives us. Have you ever made this statement? We're talking about statements that we make. Well, if I know my heart, you ever said that? <laughs> well, if I know my heart, I can just tell you, my, this is what my heart says. I just know from my heart. You've said that, haven't you? You have, come on, smile at me or something. You've all said that. If I know my heart, my heart, this is what my heart's telling me. And I understand, look, I understand that if you're playing golf, I told Ronnie yesterday, I said, you know something? My gut told me not to do that. And he said, you ought to go with your gut. But when we're talking about living for God, here's what the Bible says about our heart. Jeremiah 17, 9, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can understand it? We must have help from God to navigate all of life, including our heart. Because our heart will lie to us. Would it ever tell us the truth? It tells us the truth when it's in harmony with the word of God. But whenever our heart is not in harmony with the word of God, our heart lied to us. 
We must have God's help to navigate that life, all of life, success and failure and blessings, temptation, faith, and on and on it goes. If Jabez were here today to give us some advice, and and here's what it would be. I think he would say, do some remodeling in your life. First, remove all of your boundaries, remove your limitations, and any sense of self-sufficiency. Come to God as straightforward as you know how and tell him what your request is. Go ahead, ask for more. Ask for more blessings. Ask for increased territories. But remember, you'll need to have his hand always with you before you enter into temptation, not after. So you ask him to keep you from temptation and ask him to keep you from temptation whenever is possible and ask him that you can live a supernatural life. However, understand this, God won't build anything supernatural in a life that's dishonoring to him. That's what he would say. So then, Jabez, who was more honorable than his brothers, asked God for blessing and increased territory along with a hand of guidance and protection from evil. And then what happened? Well, then came the joy of Jabez. God granted what he asked. That's awesome. I love it when a plan comes together. God granted what he asked. What blessings has God granted in your life? We we used to sing. There are a lot of things we used to sing. We don't sing much anymore. We used to sing, count your many blessings. Name them one by one. And it will surprise you what the Lord has done. If I were to ask you, what blessings has God? We've all got gripes and complaints. But if I said to you, now what has God already done in your life that is so blessed and wonderful and you can hardly believe that that's where you are? Well, surely you'd have some. I think you'd have many. But let me ask you this. What blessings are still to come? Do you have blessings still to come? No, I think I'm done. I believe these are all the blessings that I'm ever going to get, so I'm done. Well, I would encourage you to go to Beavis and pre-plan your funeral because it is not too long from now. Because when God's done with giving you blessings, you're done. He wants to bless your life. So what happened? There was the joy of Jabez. Have you ever watched the water that pours over the rocks of a waterfall? I I love to go up to Tennessee and North Carolina. I'm from Tennessee, as you know. And one of the things I just love, I love to sit and watch and hear water running down a creek or or a falls. I just love it. I can sit there forever. Have you ever thought about this? You ever thought about the millions of flowers that bloom in the fields or the forest where no human eye has ever seen? Have you ever thought about all of those things that, that are there that are magnificent that nobody ever experiences? Are they a waste? Is the water and are the flowers, are they, are they a waste? No, they're not a waste at all. They are a picture of God's bountiful ways. Jan and I were driving back from Orlando on Friday. 
and, and we got up to I-10 and we turned west to come toward Tallahassee and we approached this, this field that was all yellow, just all bright. Yeah, put that picture back up there. That's not the actual field, but it was like that picture. It was just all bright yellow. And she said, look, look at that right there. Isn't that something? And you look back in there, it just goes on and on and on. It was just absolutely, and it was pretty. If you're going east on I-10, I, I would encourage you to, to notice it. It'll be on your right as you're going east. Don't wreck your car, but, but notice it. The, the waterfalls and the flowers and all of that, they picture the bounty of God. They picture the stretched borders of God. And he invites us to draw freely by faith on his infinite resources until we are fully satisfied even more until he is fully satisfied. Is there any reason that God cannot bless you more tomorrow than he did yesterday? Is there any reason? Is there any reason that God cannot bless this church in days to come more than he ever has in days of the past? No. No, God can bless the church and increase the church's boundaries and and make them limitless just like he can in your life. God can enlarge our boundaries. The question is, can we know his increase? And the answer to that is yes, we can know his increase then why not ask for it? If we can know the increase of God as believers, as a body of believers, then why not ask God to bless us indeed and to enlarge our territory? Jabez was more honorable than his brothers. This mother called his name Jabez, saying, because I bore him in pain, Jabez called upon the God of Israel saying, oh, that you would bless me and enlarge my border and that your hand might be with me and that you would keep me from harm so that it might not bring me pain. And God granted what he asked. I will assure you that the God who blessed Jabez loves you as much as you love Jabez. I will assure you that the God who blessed Jabez has not gotten older. He's not become senile. He is the infinite, omnipotent God. And he can still bless the way he blessed then and ways we've never seen before.